0: So Easter Day uh, celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that uh, three days after being killed on a Roman cross, Jesus conquered death and rose back to life eternal. Um, I think that Easter would be the most improbable cal- holiday on the calendar. So if you were to go through the calendar from January to December, uh, with an alien from outer space, if they just come and visit and they're like, okay, walk me through these different holidays, and you're explaining each of them uh, what this one's about, what that one's about, my, my guess is that Easter would sound the most far-fetched. Now, Groundhog Day might come in a close second because that really is a bizarre one, um, but Easter is really an unbelievable event. Right and, and for a lot of people, the whole idea that Jesus actually resurrected back to life, it's just a little too much. Um, so let me ask you, is the message of Easter too much for you to swallow? If, if it sounds absurd to you, uh, well, what I want to say first of all is, is welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, you know, Lakeview is a place where we want you to be able to come through these doors, to wrestle through faith issues, and to work them through. And, uh, and so I want to say that first of all, and second of all, I want to say welcome to the club. Welcome to the club, because that is how everyone felt on the first Easter morning, um, Easter is a day that no one expected would ever happen. And on the first Easter, everyone was a skeptic, everyone. There wasn't a person on the planet who expected Jesus would rise back to life. And and when the message first got out that Jesus was alive, no one believed it, no one. Um, So if it sounds ridiculous to you, Realize this, it was, sounded even more ridiculous to those who were there on that first Easter, those who, who watched Jesus die on the cross with their own two eyes. But, but here's the thing, somehow something happened. That, that Easter message that Jesus had conquered death, that he rose back from the grave, this message that the entire world was so skeptical about, that message somehow took hold. And it has transformed this planet in ways that no other message throughout the entire course of human history ever has. If you can ever just fathom that, just think about that. Um, and, 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 and the question is how? How could such an unbelievable message Make such an incredible impact to the extent that, that when you look at, at, at different institutions, when you go to different hospitals and you see that they're named after different saints, of, uh, uh, that, they're, that they're opened and, and established in the name of this risen Jesus, and you just scratch your head and ha- say, ask how? So, so that's a question that I've actually wrestled through in my own faith journey. And And it's also something that the first followers of Jesus, they wrestled with on that first Easter. At the very last chapter of Mark, it tells the story of the first Easter. It's the Easter that no one expected. And it charts this transition of Jesus' first followers who started out as cynics and they ended up as convinced believers. And so I want to walk through their story with you together this morning. I want to tell you just a little bit about my own journey, uh, my own story, and, and then I want to invite you to, to consider and maybe wrestle through what this Easter message means for, for you and your own story of faith that God is writing. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can open it up to Mark chapter 16. It's also going to be right here behind me. Let me just read the passage and then we'll walk through it. It says this, and when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on that first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. trembling and bewildered the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons she went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him they did not believe it Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So you can see from that that the resurrection was a tough sell from day one. Uh, and the passage shows that, that in the wake of Jesus' death, it took nothing less than overwhelming evidence to convince the first followers that Jesus was indeed alive. And so three women, they, they're walking to the tomb. They're fully expecting to find Jesus dead and buried. Now, they're not sure how, how they're going to roll that stone back to put spices there to uh, anoint his body, um, but when they arrive, they find that the stone has been already rolled away, and there's a man who presumably is described like an angel uh, sitting there inside the tomb, and he tells them the good news. Jesus has risen. He's not here. Go tell his disciples, and he'll meet up with them in, Gal- in Galilee. So, so what you'd expect, right, is that the women would just, they would break out in celebration, high fives, this is awesome, but, but that's not what happens. They, they freak out. They are scared out of their minds. It says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They literally ran for their lives. They're scared to death. And that's probably a scene that a lot of the Easter movies don't, don't really portray very well, right? Their, their initial reaction to the resurrection was fear and freak out, um, It's not until it gets to the point where Mary Magdalene actually comes face-to-face with Jesus herself that that she's compelled to to accept this evidence that's uh, that's before her. And then the same thing happens with the disciples. None of them were expecting Easter either. Uh, When Mary finds them, they're crying out loud. They're mourning and grieving over the death of this miracle man that they've been following for the past three years of their lives. They had such high hopes for how things were going to go. But now after the cross, it seems like that was just a royal waste of time. They're not quite sure where they're going next. Mary comes and she shares this good news with them. Jesus is alive and they blow her off, right? In Luke's gospel, he actually says that her word sounded to them like nonsense, you're out of your mind. What are, you, what are you talking about? In the following scene, Jesus meets a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and, and they run back and they tell the rest of the disciples and they still don't believe. Do, do you remember, this is where, where that scene with Doubting Thomas comes in, if you remember that scene. He says this, unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were, if I put my hand into his side, if I don't do that, then I'm not going to believe, right? That, that, that is one skeptical dude right there. And uh, the reality is that's okay. Um, because Jesus shows up and, and he gives him what he asks for. And they are at this place where they're compelled to believe something that seemed unbelievable because they can't help but accept it. Jesus tells Thomas, put your finger here, reach out your hand, put it on my side. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. You see, what I love about that is that Jesus didn't just expect them to believe without giving them a reason to believe. And he addresses their doubts. He gives them compelling reasons. And then he, he calls them at that point, stop doubting, place your faith in me. And, of course, the rest is history. That, that message that was such a tough sell went on to change the world. And so speaking of myself, I can kind of relate to the disciple skepticism uh, because, you know, the resurrection, that was a tough sell for me in, in my own journey of faith and growing up and growing into, into faith. Uh, I have a bit of a doubting Thomas streak in myself, Um, I I know there's some people, some of you are just like, you just keep facts and faith in completely different categories and you just choose, I am going to believe something and that pretty much settles it. Uh, Whether or not it makes any sense doesn't matter. You just, this is what I'm doing. That's it. I I, I admire that. (laughs) I wish I were more like that, but I'm not. I've never just been able to just turn my my, my, my brain or my intellect off and just believe something that, that doesn't fit my head. And, and that's part of what attracted me to the Christian faith is that it doesn't ask you to believe blindly. Is faith required? Yes, but not blind faith that flies in the face of reason. It's a reasonable faith. Uh, there's, there's a clear call to place your faith in the resurrected, risen Jesus Christ, but there's also compelling reasons to do so. I found in my own life compelling reasons to believe in Jesus' resurrection. So as improbable as it sounds, my conclusion is that the very best explanation is that the resurrection actually happened That's the explanation that to me makes the most sense more than anything else. And and I don't say that because Jesus has shown up physically to me like he did to the first disciples. That that would definitely do it. Uh, But he didn't do that to me. Uh, I don't expect that he will for you either. Um, This is not some kind of just a subjective kind of, you know, spiritual encounter with Christ. Those, Those encounters are precious and, and meaningful, but, but that's kind of not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm looking at more objective realities. Um, I, I reach that conclusion um, based mostly on objective historical data. Uh, so here's one of the unique things about the Christian faith is that it is based on actual events. Events that are a part of the historical record that show up in history, at particular times and places, and so historical events for all of you history buffs here, right they can be examined. we look at them, we can reach conclusions based on the evidence that's found from different sources it's what uh, it's what they call the historical method and, and and we reach conclusions about historical figures based on the records that we have, the data points that we have, and that applies whether it be the life of George Washington or King Tut or Jesus of Nazareth. And so I discovered some some aspects about Jesus' resurrection that share nearly unanimous historical consensus. Uh, Almost every historian agrees on certain aspects about Jesus' resurrection. The first is this, is that Jesus actually lived and that he died by crucifixion. Here's the thing: No serious historian debates that. Now I'm sure you can turn on your computer and you can Google, and you will find any kind of people who are gonna, you know, say contrary to that. Um, but here's here, here's the here's the reality: The majority of credible historians don't question those things. All four gospels talk about it. There are several non-Christian sources that also report it as well from Josephus to the Talmud. Um, And so there's a liberal scholar, so scholars who don't actually believe in the deity of Jesus. One guy is named John Dominic Croson, and this is his conclusion. He says the fact that Jesus was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. That's from the mouth of a non-believer, okay? Um, So there's a second historical consensus, and that is that Jesus' disciples believed that he rose from the dead and that he appeared to them, okay? So that's the the historical consensus. Um, What is that based on? So Paul's letters, the the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, those are the earliest dated books in the New Testament. So Paul... He claimed to know the other apostles personally. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, this is what he writes. He says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so scholars, uh, they recognize that the words in that passage they're in a particular form. They're structured in the form of what's called a creed. It's something that predates the letter itself and it dates back what they have found as far as five years and no more than two decades after Jesus' death, okay? So just, just to make sh- help you understand, it's like if I were to write a letter to you and in that letter I include something like, I say something like, the early bird gets the worm. Or the early service gets the word, right? You guys are here for the early service. Um, but you would hear that and you wouldn't say, Wow, Pastor Brian, you are such a great pensmith. You came up with this original designed uh, phrase. No, you would know naturally that's pre existing. You took that from something and you incorporated that saying into your own work. And, and so historians, they love that kind of stuff. They look for that kind of stuff. And that's what they find in that passage, that uh, Jesus was of first importance that he died and that he was raised. And, and it's one of several examples. That, and here's what it shows, that the very earliest belief of Jesus' first followers was this conviction that he was raised back to life. So when I discovered that, one of the things it did for me was it put to rest some of those um, Da Vinci Code kind of claims. You remember that movie, The Da Vinci Code? And, and, and one of the things it said in there is they claimed that, you know, Jesus' disciples, they, they didn't really believe Jesus was God. That's all, that's all stuff that was added afterwards. They didn't think he was resurrected. That was added later after the disciples were gone by corrupt people in power, they did it because they wanted to control the crowds. That's, that's the claim. But here's the thing. That is just a historically unviable claim. It's great fiction, but it's not fact. Um, by the way, I'll just add to that, that uh, the Bible that we read... Uh, this Bible that I'm holding in my hands, from the historical method as well, we can, we can say that it is 99% accurate to the original manuscripts. If you don't espouse that, then you have to throw out any ancient books because it is so much more consistency between the copies. Uh, the few places where it differs, it's never over any kind of substantive doctrinal question. Um, so I'm just going to throw that one in there. But Jesus' disciples, they believe that he, rode from, he rose from the dead. He appeared to them. And, and, and of course, that in and of itself doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove that it actually happened. But again, there's even liberal scholars, the ones that don't believe in Jesus' deity, but they, they agree on that. Uh, one is Rudolf Bultmann. He said this, Historical criticism can establish the fact that the first disciples came to believe in the resurrection and they thought they had seen the risen Jesus. Some of the most compelling evidence that I found uh, comes from the testimony of the disciples' own lives. So something happened to them, something changed them in a very radical core way at the deepest part of their lives. We've been looking through the gospel of Mark for some time and we have just seen so many examples where these guys were just whimpering cowards. They never got it right. And, and they turned, something, something turned them into some of the most courageous men the world has ever known. And uh, history and Christian tradition tells us that every one of them endured incredible amounts of pain and agony because of this conviction that they felt to the deepest part of their lives that Jesus was alive. Just a few examples of the original disciples Matthew, it said, died in Ethiopia from a sword wound. Uh, Mark was dragged by horses through the city streets of Alexandria until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece for preaching. John was boiled in a huge basin of oil. He survived that, was exiled to the island of Patmos, that's where he wrote the book of Revelation, and later was freed, and he was the only apostle who was known to have died at it just from old age. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, James, who was Jesus' half-brother, was thrown in the southeast pinnacle of the temple and fell over 100 feet. He actually survived that and was subsequently beaten to death by a club. Um, I could go on and on and tell you the stories of the original followers uh, and the courage that they demonstrated for this this reality, this truth that was so core to their lives. And, And again, let me be clear that courage in and of itself that doesn't prove anything, but what is clear is that something happened to them. Something got a hold of their lives, and at the very least, it's got to like just make you wonder, scratch your head, and say, "What got into those guys?" What? 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 One of the alternate theories that I've heard, um, and maybe you have too is that the resurrection was meant to be a metaphor. You know, and you Christian people, you're just so literal. It's supposed to be a metaphor, like you know, spring and butterflies and metamorphosis. Um, what are you thinking it's literal, right? There's, there is a film that circulated a while back on the internet, it's called Zeitgeist. And, and it makes all kinds of claims trying to just undermine uh, the truths of the Christian faith. One is this, they, they claim that, you know, there are all kinds of ancient religions and all of these ancient religions, they all had saviors and these saviors died and they came back to life. Uh, they list a few of them. One is Osiris, another one is Iris or Addis and one is Marduk. And what they claim is that, come on, can't you guys see? Christianity just borrowed that metaphor from these other religions to try and make a point. But you know what, if you actually look at those stories, uh, it's quite clear that that is a gross misrepresentation. Um, First of all, the parallels are greatly exaggerated. And second of all, all but one of them dates to after Jesus' resurrection. So there is one that predates it. Um, It's from the Egyptian cult of Osiris. And let me just very quickly share with you how that story goes. Osiris was killed by his brother. He was chopped into 14 pieces and scattered throughout Egypt, at which point a goddess collected the parts and tried to put him back together again, but she was only able to find 13 pieces of Osiris's body, so she only had enough pieces to bring him back to life in the underworld. That's the story, and so Osiris, it really isn't a resurrection story. It's It's a zombie story. (laughs) It has has more in common with the walking dead than it does Jesus' resurrection. Um, But then there's a bigger problem with that theory because here's the thing. If the disciples really only meant for the resurrection to be a metaphor, then, then think about it. They were willing to die they were willing to sacrifice their lives for the sake of a, a metaphor. I don't know, call me skeptical, but I have a hard time believing that anyone would die for the sake of a rhetorical device. It just seems a little bit beyond the cuff. Uh, the last major challenge that I, I had to work through was, was this issue of the empty tomb. Um, so again, from a historical perspective, the data uh, is, shows that something happened to Jesus' body. Uh, there was the claim by the disciples that Jesus had resurrected back to life. And then there was a counterclaim by the critics. And their claim was that the disciples stole the body. But here's the thing. Neither side claimed that the body was still there. right? So something had to have happened because the whole thing would have gone away if they had just said, look, there he is. Um, And what's interesting to me is that the disciples show, I'm sorry, the the gospel shows, uh, we just read it here in Mark, that it was women who were the first ones to find Jesus alive. I don't know if you caught that when we just read it before. Um, That makes a very compelling case for the truth of the disciples' story. Reason being is that if you were making this up, if you were concocting your own story, you would never have chosen a woman to be the first person to meet Jesus. That's because in the first century, women were held in very, very low esteem. Their testimony meant next to nothing. So the only reason the disciples would ever think of including that in their story is that it actually happened. It's uh, credible there. And, and here's the other thing. If, if the disciples stole the body, wouldn't you expect... Wouldn't you expect, like take Peter for example, crucified upside down, wouldn't you expect that when they're hammering the second nail through his wrist as he's being crucified upside down, he'd be like, all right guys, April Fool's, I, I was just kidding, can you put the hammer away please? Um, that, that didn't happen. And, and, and one thing we know throughout history, that history has taught us, is that no one has ever been willing to die for what they know to be a lie. People have been deceived into believing things that are true that are not, and they've been willing to die for them, but no one is willing to die for what they know to be a lie. Uh, Chuck Colson, um, he, he went to jail during Nixon's Watergate scandal. Later on, he came to faith. And this is what he says. I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. He says, because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. That They would not have endured if that weren't true. He says, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men on the planet, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me the apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now, now, again, none of these things in and of themselves proves anything. But when you start stacking it up, when you start putting the pieces together, I have found the case to be compelling you have to have some kind of explanation for these things. There has to be some kind of explanation for how did the church actually ever happen, right? It was was birthed in the very same city where Jesus had just been crucified against all odds. By all accounts, there shouldn't be a church, but there is. Um, How? Based on what, right? So for me, when I put it all together, as improbable as the resurrection sounds, I found it to be the explanation that makes the most sense. So I I hope my story shows you, uh, if nothing else, number one, that there is credible, objective reasons for believing uh, the Christian faith. And there are credible uh, re- objective reasons for believing specifically in Jesus' resurrection, what we celebrate here on Easter morning. You don't have to take a flying leap to buy into it. If you're a skeptic, if you're a seeker, if you haven't crossed that line of belief already, um, I, I, I'm glad you're here. I hope you're open and listening. I, I don't pretend to be able to persuade someone in 25 minutes. Um, But I've told you a little bit of my story, um, and I hope maybe that can set the stage for your own story that is uh, playing out. I, I, I will tell you this. If the resurrection didn't happen, if it is not an actual historical reality, then what we're doing here this morning is an absolute waste of time. We ought to just close this church, shut it down, go home, and turn on the news, or the baseball game or something like that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, he says, preaching is useless. The Christian faith is a waste of time. The apostles who claim to have seen him are imposters and the Christians are the most pathetic people on the planet. That's how core the, the, the historical reality of the resurrection is. And he throws it right out there But the opposite is true too. On the other hand, if the resurrection is real, then that reality has profound implications on our lives. Undeniably profound implications. It means that Jesus is in fact alive, that he has in fact conquered death, that he is the way to eternal life. It means Jesus is who he claimed to be eternal God who's broken into our world. And that means God can no longer just be who I want him to be, right? Here's who I think God is. That's not a longer, It's no longer an option. He's revealed himself. He's made himself known to us through Jesus. If the resurrection is real, then it validates everything Jesus said about the basic fundamental need of humanity which is forgiveness, that God's love is so great that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sin to forgive us. So by trusting in him, we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God, not by just being good enough and trying to do enough good things, but by trusting in what Jesus has already done, paid in full, finished work on the cross. If the resurrection is real, it means that you can know Jesus as a real person. You can have a relationship with the God who made you. And if the resurrection is real, then what Jesus said about him being the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that is the most important message you will ever hear. And what you do with that has eternal ramifications, pay attention to it. If the resurrection is real, Jesus did in fact conquer death. It means that no matter how hard your life gets, there's always a hope to grab onto, always. So Easter is the holiday that no one expected, but it is the holiday that we all need. And it's a game changer. It, it's a reality that comes crashing onto our lives, um, uninvited, unexpected. It upsets the norms. It reorients our entire lives. And so let me just leave you and ask you this question. What's your response? And what does that next step look like for you? Let's pray together.